You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 99, covering First Contact and Galaxy's Child. Hello, friends. Hi, friends. Hey, I say friends. You don't say friends. Mm. Hi, folks. There you go. You don't have any friends. You have folks. Yes, they're your folks. They're my friends. (laughs) No, they're our friends. Friends, listeners. Um, we are here, uh, this is apparently the 25th anniversary of Star Trek The Next Generation as we record this, so, yes. yay. Happy anniversary, TNG. I suppose. Um, uh, we will celebrate by making fun of two episodes of that show for you. Yes! Somewhere about the middle. Yeah. So, Matt, why don't you tell us about, not the movie First Contact, which is a whole other different thing. Yes, I was really, I was really thrown off. Thought I was no. going to see something about the Borg. Nope, afraid not. The Borg and some guy getting drunk and playing rock and roll music. Yep. What a great movie that is. <laughs> we'll get there later. But more on <laughs> that later. Yes, for now, why don't you tell us about the episode called First Contact, which is not at all confusing. Nope. All right, sirens flash, heart monitors beep, and like a surgeon plays quietly in the background as William, Billiam, Billy Boy, Thomas Riker Kincaid is rushed into surgery on an alien world. Bilbo is undercover, taking part in the early stages of preparing planet Malkor III for first contact, when he is savagely beaten and carted off to the hospital, where doctors quickly realize that something might be up. Especially when they count his fingers and have to keep going after four. (laughs) We meet up with the various heads of the planet's governments. It's Chancellor Durkin, it's head of space exploration, the aliens are preparing to begin experimenting with warp drives, hence the Federation's involvement, Yale, and it's creepy religious nut Krola, who is against anything new getting in the way of the aliens' stupid, xenophobic traditions. Picard beams down to meet up with the space exploration head, bringing Troy along so she can sniff around and pee on everything, and he explains what the Federation is. He takes her up into the Enterprise, and they begin making plans to reveal themselves to the Malkorians. Yale worries about the previously mentioned xenophobia, leading me to wonder if these guys should actually be joining the Federation, but whatever, and tells Picard that under no circumstances should she mention that Riker has been on the planet. Picard agrees and then meets with the Chancellor. The two hit it off pretty well, bonding over the various alcoholic beverages available in the universe, and then Picard sends the Chancellor home. Durkin reveals the existence of the aliens to his staff, and Krola freaks the fuck out. He further freaks the fuck out when the hospital staff reveals that they have Riker and promptly goes off to torture the strapping young commander. Durkin gets pissy with Picard over not, being, over not being told about Riker and resolves to keep Bill for the time being. Meanwhile, Riker attempts to escape the hospital but is thwarted, first by sex with Fraser's wife and then later by another savage beating. On the verge of death, Krola f- first attempts to interrogate Riker and then tries to kill him and then tries to kill himself by forcing Riker to shoot him with a phaser. Luckily, Durkin has decided to allow Riker to go free, and Bever and her medical ta- staff arrive just in time to save Bill's life. Back on the Enterprise, Durkin decides that his people are not yet ready to join the Federation, what with being crazy, racist, religious nuts and all, and Yale begs to be allowed to stay with the Enterprise, where she'll be no trouble at all. So, she stays. She's yeah. there. She's yep. on the ship, and she leaves with the ship, and then what? I assume there's a book about it, because there's always a book. Oh, I'm sure they dump her somewhere. Maybe she hooks up with uh, the whale biologist. That was my first thought, too. <laughs> the very specific whale biologist who has nowhere else to go but where the whales are. I'm a whale biologist. <laughs> Maybe they all hang out, these people who just decide to leave and yep. stay with people. And then the Enterprise people are always like, we we don't want you here. Go Oof. away. 
I really wish I hadn't missed out on nineteen on 1980s America. That was a pretty sweet gig. Whereas this chick, you know, she's like the female version of their uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. She's like, we need to go to space. And everyone's like, oh, no. No, we, we don't do want to go to space. And she's like, fuck you. I'm going to space then. Bye. Which, I'm going to tell you, I would do the exact same thing. Sure. Given the option. Hey, look, we finally encountered aliens and everything. Finally discovered that, no, we're not alone in the universe. There's this whole whole universe out there of just just infinite things. Uh, so you go back to your little house and don't ever think about it again. Uh-huh. I would fucking ditch the planet in a second, too. So long, suckers. There's cool shit out there to look at. So let's hear your good thing, then. All right. This may be my favorite episode of TNG so far. No episode has grabbed my interest like quite like this one did. I love the idea of first contact with an alien race and making the aliens so incredibly similar to us uh, in the pre- like in the present of when the episode was made, as well as making the episode from the aliens' perfect- perspective really captured my imagination. Like, is this how we would react if aliens arrived on Earth? Uh, like, <laughs> asking us to join with this huge galactic government thing? Right. I thought it was no, awesome. I, I like that. I did like that they were very similar to us, and usually I hate that. Mm-hmm. Usually it's like, ugh, they're humanoids again, they have hospitals, they have, like, and I still, this is a stupid nitpick, and I shouldn't keep bringing this up, but really, why do they speak English? Why is there absolutely not even a line of dialogue to say, oh, by the way, we're using a universal translator? That's all I need. Just explain what you're doing, because otherwise, alien culture, hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Any of those questions, I usually, with this one, I just cover up with, they've been watching them for a couple of years now. And everyone knows their language. Yeah. Everyone well, has Well, Picard's a hell, of a, a hell of a good dip, uh, diplomat. Yeah, but also Troy mm-hmm. and Riker. Yeah, Troy's and, not a hell of a good diplomat. Yeah, exactly. Troy's not a hell of a good anything. No. She, in both of these episodes, uh, she just does more standing around and occasionally they cut to her with a reaction shot than I think they've ever done. She is just excellent wandering in. And looking, like, showing concern, Mm -hmm. showing happiness, you know, just, like, reflecting Ah. the emotions of everyone else in the scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not not great. No, but you're absolutely right, especially taking, like, their perspective. Like, yeah, they're a little too human-y for my usual tastes, but in this case, making them a lot like contemporary Earth does that thing Star Trek is supposed to do, which is Mm -hmm. says things about our culture. Yeah. No, and uh, again, uh, the writers actually had to fight for that to like make it from the aliens' perspective. They're like, "Look, this only works if we're viewing like our guys." They're the sympathetic ones. It's not like the the Federation coming and imposing their will. That's not nearly as interesting. And of course, Gene is just like, "All right, I'll let you do it this time if you never do it again." Yeah. Well, he'll be dead soon. Yep. So there's that. Counting down the minutes. No, I, I, I'm not. That's a terrible thing. To yeah, say. I know. We're doing good cop, bad cop on this. You know that, right? Yes. Okay. You're bad cop. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I really like that. And actually, I thought it kind of played out like an X-Files episode in a way. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. Because you got this alien and you got people trying to deny that it exists and you got people mm-hmm. trying to cover it up and people scared that there's an invasion. I mean, it felt very X-Files-y. Yep. Which I thought was cool. This is sort of a, like, um, when when was this episode made? Like, 1990? 91-ish. 91, okay. So X-Files would be on in a couple of years, and X-Files would sort of bring in that sort of interest in, like, government conspiracies and UFOs like that. It sort of ran pretty right. hot throughout the 90s, and this is kind of a nice precursor to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and your bad thing? <sighs> Sending Riker to this planet 
in a makeup job that basically fell apart the second after he was taken to the hospital is probably not the best way to secretly infiltrate this planet. You know, we talked about this a bit. I don't think... I think there should be specialists. The Enterprise carries anthropologists. They should maybe even just be a first contact team. And then I thought about, this should be Troy's job. Mm -hmm. This is something she'd be good at. Yeah. She could learn about them on a level that the human guys couldn't. Mm -hmm. She could use her diplomatic skills. And that would be a great, because you have to get us engaged. You have to relate it to a main character. Otherwise, who cares? Mm -hmm. I get that. And that's why Riker's down there, really. Yeah. Dramatically. But you could make that Troy's job. Riker's the first officer of a starship. He's got important orders to bark. He's got important places to put his leg. He doesn't have time to be dressing up as an alien and, you know, cosplaying on some planet just yeah. to invite them to a party. It just doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't, but uh, who cares? I mean, like, it wor- It. I mean, it doesn't work, but it works well enough to get an episode I otherwise loved, you know, no, going. No, and the thing is, they, they take a lot of they take a lot of dramatic liberties. They take a lot of, you know, poetic license to make this work. And because the fundamental story and the fundamental points they're making are so strong, I don't care. Yeah. And that's the thing I've said about Star Trek from day one. You can make sloppy mistakes. You can you can disregard continuity. You can do all that. If you're telling a really good story, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I've said that all along. If you, you know, whereas Enterprise, for instance, ignored a lot of serious continuity stuff and they told shitty stories. Yeah. That's That was my real thing. If they'd done that in the interest of doing something cool. And actually, the, in this episode, they mention how disastrous First Contact was with the Klingons. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, what actually happened, Al? Oh, uh, Klingon crashes in a cornfield. Mm-hmm. And then the Enterprise guys return him to the Klingons, I believe. And everything's fine. Disastrous! Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I What I imagined from what Picard said here was way different than what they yeah. did. Yeah. In any case. And also something I would have been interested in learning about, but not so much. Nah, that's okay. Um, so my good thing, well, I'm not as big a fan of this as you are. It's mm-hmm. definitely a solid above-average next-gen episode. And I was even reading uh, Entertainment Weekly put this in their top ten next-gen episodes, mm-hmm. period. I think it's good. I think it's definitely, like, above a five. I'd put it even as a seven or an eight. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot more better than this. Uh, but there is a lot to like about it. And the main thing I remembered going in was the ridiculous seduction scene. And yep. I'm sorry, that's still my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. It was such a Kirk moment. It really, like, we all, people have always said, oh, Riker's the new Kirk. Well, he is, but he is, and he's not as much of a scumbag. But there's, I mean, she just flings herself at him. She's like, and, and you didn't talk about this specifically, so I'd like to for a minute. She is like a, I don't know, a, a nurse or an assistant at the hospital or something like that. Yeah. And she comes in and says, look. I can help you escape. You are an alien, right? Because if you are, I really want to bone an alien. Yeah. You have sex with me, and I'll help you get out of here. Yeah, and Al is not paraphrasing here. No, that well, I am. A, those weren't the exact lines, but that is the exact intent of the lines. Yeah. Um, it's not my quote, but I kind of think you should put the lines in here because they're really good. Are you really an alien? It's all right to tell me. No, I'm not an alien. I don't believe you. You are an alien. I really have to leave. I could divert the guard's attention. You might stand a chance if you took the service exit down the hallway to the right. To the right? Fine, let's do it. Why should I? Well, you know why. I don't belong here. I have to get back on my ship. In space. I believe you. Now, will you help me? 
If you make love to me. What? I've always wanted to make love with an alien. Listen, Miss... Lanell. Lanell. I really have to get going. All the other aliens are waiting for me. Oh, it's not so much to ask. And then I'll help you escape. <sighs> it's not that easy. There are differences in the way that my people make love. I can't wait to learn. But it's... It's your only way out of here. My alien. They are. And, and, uh... I don't know how to say her name. Bebe, Babe Newerth. She, I thought it was uh, BB. It could be. I don't know. I don't know how you say that name. Mm-hmm. In any event, she it, Lilith is great. Yeah. Because she's not playing the 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 stone bitch that she played in in Cheers. It's a mm-hmm. whole different thing. And she's just so good at it. Plus, you know, glasses hot. Yeah, she is adorable. I would say she's hot more than adorable, but she's yeah. also adorable. Yeah. No, it's it's a fantastic scene, and it's it's funny. And mm-hmm. charming, and it could have been terrible. They could have camped it up. They could have gone a cheesy route, but it was it was just hilarious. Yep. And really, if I were to pick at the end of the series ten moments, ten standout, like maybe one for each character, this might be Riker's moment for me. <laughs> Would you make love to me? What? Yeah. He and and then like okay, and then in the next scene she's walking out and buttoning up her top. Yep. <laughs> okay then. <laughs> nice job, uh, Bill. The thing is, we've seen him charm ladies. Yes. We've seen him, like, he never flings himself at them like Kirk did. He never forces himself on them like Kirk did. There's never that weird rapey vibe. Yeah. But he's always hitting on them. He's Mm -hmm. always charming them. He's always, you know, they're equals to him, but he's still trying to sleep with them. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, the first time one has just completely thrown herself at him. Yep. And it's awesome. It's great. And she plays it so well. There's and a he bit does I... too. He's a little uncomfortable at first, but he's like, oh, well, guess I got to take one for the team. Yep. No, but th- like there's a bit I really like where she, they've got these weird sort of mitten hands. Like, oh, God, yeah. Like almost the penguin hands from Batman Returns, but they've got like little suckers on them. But there's this nice shot where she's got his like regular human hands Mm-hmm. And she's just sort of running her fingers over them like she's fascinated by them. Yeah, I looking really at sort them of like, like that. I wonder what you can do with these things. She's like, that's so weird. Yeah, I bet and... you could do things with these rather than just paw at the air. <laughs> so my bad thing. Okay, I get that this isn't complex layered drama. But some of the ham-fisted ways people deliver their arguments was a little tedious, I thought. Mm. We must move forward. No, I hate new things. <laughs> like that, particularly the guy who was opposed to, you know, the change and all that. Because, okay, yeah, I know your knee jerk reaction is you fucking hate people like that. And I get that. Mm-hmm. But there are people like that who are just scared or, or reasonable about it, who are, you know, it is a valid opposing viewpoint. And I think setting up this sort of straw bureaucrat guy to just say, no, it's bad. And I'm going to fake shoot myself just to, you know, like, I, I think that was a little clumsy. Yeah. I think if they, put a little gray area in there, made him a little more sympathetic and just legitimately scared and not just like a dick. Yep. I think that might've been better. And they still could have made the side we sympathize with stronger, mm-hmm. but he could have been a little more nuanced. I thought plus you were bugged the hell out of who is that? Who is that? And I looked it up and it's the, uh, the major D at the hotel in Ghostbusters. The, uh, the Stanwick hotel. Yeah. $5,000. I won't pay it. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. fine then. We can just put this right back, can't we, Dr. Stans? Oh, we certainly can, can, Dr. Beckman. Yes. And I, I you know, looking over uh, his his credits, you know, he's played bureaucrats his entire life. Yeah. 
because look at him. He looks he looks like a fucking bureaucrat. Yep. No, as soon as you said that, I'm like, of course it's him. Yes. And but you know, overall, I just I think some of the ideologies maybe they didn't want it to be too complex. Maybe they just wanted it to be a simple thing. I guess I get that. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. It was a bit, you know. Well, maybe those weird lumps where their hands are are supposed to actually be ham. Oh, there you go. Maybe they're literally ham fisted. The ham fisted people. Yes, of Ham Fist Three. <laughs> there was a nice little callback to the uh, to the wine that Robert gave uh, Jean Luc, which was yep. nice. There's. Um, I I would like to point out that uh, if you're, uh, he said not to drink it alone. I don't think he meant with another dude. No, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean that. <laughs> unless unless that scene ended the same way that the, the Lilith and Riker scene ended. <laughs> we just don't know. Things cut away. We don't know what happens in between. Well, that. here I go. The show does not unfold in real time. Lots of stuff happens between commercial breaks. It's true. Uh, <laughs> I assume that's when Troy does everything. Yes, it must be. That's that's when she and Beverly really become useful, and we just don't see it. It's off She's camera. She's like downstairs running the ship. Downstairs. Yep. Um, I, I do think, though, that uh, he said, I've been saving this for a special occasion. Okay, first contact is a big deal and all, mm -hmm. but I don't think that's that special an occasion. I think Riker's wedding or, you know, I don't know, something along those lines. Worf getting his honor back. Like, I'm thinking <laughs> of big things, you know. No, really, though, when that happens. No, no, I, I completely agree with you. That's, you know, something happening to one of his major guys yeah. is a special occasion. Meeting a new alien is cool, but I don't know if that's worth breaking out the wine for. I, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think, like, Picard sees this as a huge, huge honor. Oh, I know he does. And he's got some great, you know standard Picard speechifying yeah. that we always like. Now, there's a great bit where he's talking about the, um, like, the most dangerous mission in any Starfleet officer's career is first contact, because yeah. you, you fuck this up and you fuck up everything. No, and there's always a great vibe to that where it's similar to, like, oh, God, if I screw up with my child, this will scar him for life. Yeah. No, it's, it's basically that thing. again. Yeah. It's like, well, we fucked up the Klingons, and that did not yeah. go... No, we well, only just finally put that fire out 200 yeah. years later. <laughs> yeah. So here's the here's the main thing I wanted to discuss. The, mm. the, you know, we'll get all the little details out of the way first, but there's a, there's a primary argument here. Not argument so much as trying to figure out what the deal is. Mm. Okay. So they've established, and they've established this before, I think in Who Watches the Watchers, maybe elsewhere, that first contact, this, this situation happens when a, a civilization gets warp drive. Yeah. Okay, you're about to go out to the stars. Let's come here and hold your hand so you're not freaked out by what you see. We're yeah. we're out there and we'll, it's cool. Everything's fine. You're one of us. It's cool. Yeah. It's you're about to you're about to go out into the universe, and mm -hmm. it's probably best that we get to you before, oh, say the Ferengi do. Right. Exactly. Or you'll come home wearing a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> and that does not make a great space suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I met these really nice guys with like big big ears. Um, they sold me this bridge. <laughs> the bridge of a starship? No, an actual bridge. No, see? Oh. <laughs> I own this bridge on Earth now. There's a picture of it. Huh. Yeah, no, this is exactly what it looks like. Well, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. I just thought it'd be a cool thing to own. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's got to these... it's, it's, it's be good, right? Like, they took my entire planet's wealth. Oh, it's okay. They also gave me these magic beans. <laughs> but, okay. So and you reach out. Whip. You reach out with first contact, and then, okay, then you can join the Federation if you want. You can not, but that's that's the big thing. Yeah. <sighs> Separate from that, I think, 
is the prime directive, mm-hmm. which says don't interfere with a, with an inferior culture. I always thought that the prime directive ceases being a thing when you make first contact. Then they're aware of you. No more prime directive. There's no more interfering. Everyone knows everyone and it's fine. Mm-hmm. We sort and it's like, okay, now you're, now you're one of us. We're going to yeah, sort of bring up. you up to where we are. Yeah. You can sit at the grown up table and, you know, drink the wine and, you know, enjoy. Mm-hmm. But they made some statements in this episode where the prime directive still applied. They're like, one of the guys was like, well, you're going to share all this marvelous technology with us. And Picard's like, no, well, no, you guys got to, you know, figure this out on your own, but it, that sort of it—it it doesn't really work if you look at it. No, because if the prime directive doesn't apply anymore, they should be able to exchange everything. Yeah, it's like it, and it's just like okay, look, if you guys—it—it's the whole get it, going out into the universe again thing. If you guys don't share the technology with them, they can get it elsewhere. Well, that, but also, if and we they don't can show get it you from a lot what, less savory people. That's true, but. Also, it's, you know, if we don't show you what a phaser is, you might die, you know, the pack leads might kill you, and yeah. Christ, you don't want that. That shit's just embarrassing. Yeah, exactly. You do not want to be the first person to be killed by pack leads. Here, this we is what a photon smart. torpedo is. Keep two of them. <laughs> we are smart. We have uh-huh. killed this race. <laughs> okay, brother. <laughs> so, I'm not really sure, and I'm sure there's some nerd in the audience somewhere who knows exactly how this works, and I don't care that much. No. It's I'm just, it's just, one of those things we like to pick at. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, storytelling-wise, if, if the writers know, if, if they intend to keep the Prime Directive in place even after everybody yeah. knows everything. Although, this is a weird situation because they made contact with their president, they made contact with the head scientist, and that was it. Yeah. The people didn't know about it yet, so maybe that's the loophole. I mean, I feel like, like you wouldn't... Just like you're, you're not just going to do the Vogon thing where you just appear to every person on the planet yelling stuff. Yes, yeah, We're here. Because, okay, so we've seen two. Well, we've seen one first contact. This. Mm-hmm. The I was thinking the other one was who watches the watchers, but that was not intended to be. The, first they, they were nowhere near getting ready for no. first contact. No. So this is it. I wonder how it's supposed to unfold. Like, yeah. obviously, in a dramatic show, you want to see something go wrong to create tension. Right. But I wonder what the right way is. I wonder what how it's supposed to happen. Like, I assume they spend years, like, getting people ready. Like, they have people undercover exploring the races. Yeah, they, and presumably Riker being there is sort of the final step. They're watching, he, they're watching their TV and, right. you know, whatever. And these people are just about to launch their first warp, like, warp test. So, first contact is, like, maybe a week away. Right. And so that's when they send Riker down and they get the Enterprise on standby. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, let's check this out once, you know, give it a once over and then they do warp and then we show up. Maybe it happens like in the movie First Contact where the Vulcans show up like, okay, you got warp. Here we are. Yep. Could be like that. I don't know. But I, I assume, you know, they appear to the, you know, the whoever the leader of the planet is and just like, okay, this is how this goes. Right. What I, do you think? Th- he had a really great line mm-hmm. where he says, um... This morning, I thought I was the president of the known universe, and now I found out I'm not. Yeah. That what was, is it? That I'm just really a voice good. in a committee? Yep. Yeah. That was that was a really nice uh, moment. Because, I mean, he has a point. Like, you just went from the most powerful man on the planet to uh, not that great. See, and now there's that gray area I was talking about. That is a legitimate fear that gives that side a, a solid argument. Mm-hmm. That is scary. You lose your power, you lose your perspective, you lose, you know, everything yeah. that you, you're you comfortable with. If they 
stated that point more clearly with Mr. Bureaucrat McSpectacles, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, sorry, Mustache McSpectacles. Mustache McSpectacles. Yes. Then, uh, you know, I think he might have been a little more sympathetic because it is a legitimate point. Yeah. I, I see why they're scared from lines like that. There, there's also, there's, uh, there's a moment where this guy, he goes to find Riker at the, uh, at the hospital. Excuse and me, Matt, the medical facility. I, it's Star Trek, so shouldn't it be the medical lab? Yes, but they don't have hospitals. They made a point of saying the medical facility. That okay. makes it alien. Oh, well then. No, so he goes to visit Riker and bring him, you know, some flowers, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I was real like, he, and he forces, uh, he, he forces the doc, like, he gets a new doctor, Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm actually going to deal with this with my quote in a little while. He gets, um, he gets his new doctor to unsafely wake Riker up because he's almost dying. Right. And I'm really hoping for like a scene where you have this guy who is just completely against everything Riker stands for, like, a, right. like ex- exploration versus, you know, uh, what was the word you used? Um, Not xenophobia, but uh, isolationism. Yeah. Just exploration versus isolationism. This huge thing. And I'm really wanting to see this conversation between these two. And instead, he just sort of tries to make Riker shoot him with a phaser. Well, and I think probably what the writers decided was the philosophical arguments could be happening with Picard and the leader. Riker's there just to, to bone Lilith and to be injured. Mm. He's not really there to... I mean, and the thing is, they've written Riker to the point where he could make these arguments, too. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But I think they split it up so that Picard did what Picard's good at and Riker did what Riker's good at. I mean, that's certainly true. I just, I would have liked to have seen... Yeah, I agree. More of this guy. I would have liked to have seen more of Riker and this guy. Well, and I think, I think I'm getting to why you loved this episode so much. And like I said, I like it. I'm not certainly mm-hmm. going to argue that it's not a good episode. But you have always said from day one that you love politics in Star Trek. I do. And it's interesting because I've tried to talk to you about real world politics and you could not give less of a damn. Nope. But I'm hearing you make arguments that sort of apply to real things. It's interesting because you really get into the metaphor of Star Trek, but you don't care at all how it applies to life. I think that's I guess hilarious. that's true. No, and I don't, you know, that's that's not a judgment. That's not a, you know, I'm not laughing at you for that. Well, I am kind of laughing. But, <laughs> a you know. little. But because it's funny, not because I think you should be ridiculed for it. <laughs> Star Trek's cooler than life. I'd much rather argue about yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No, when I'm, real I'm... life gets some aliens, then it will have my interest. Yeah, probably not. Until then. My thought has always been that if we find aliens, they're going to be completely just... We're not going to understand them at all. They're going to be too weird and alien. Yeah, we we were talking about this before the show. Just I, I love this episode so much just mm-hmm. because it, it's so close to just... Like this, an alien race arriving on sort of modern Earth, and mm-hmm. like what happens then? Yeah, utterly fascinating to me. Yep, absolutely. It is, and it's a thing that that science fiction proper, like as a whole, has dealt with forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Arthur C. Clarke wrote several stories about this, and yeah, um, that's and, stuff that's been on my reading list for a while. Yeah, actually. and uh, Carl Sagan's uh, mm-hmm. uh, Contact. <laughs> Regular contact. Yes, exactly. Um, Arthur C. Clarke, uh, what was it? Childhood's End. Childhood's End, yes. I have the one that somewhere. stuck out, but I've also read a couple of his short stories that are similar. And I know there are other sort of heavy hitter um, sci-fi authors who have dealt with this as well, because it's a huge mm. deal. It if, is. If we accept, and it should be. Yeah, if we accept aliens and space, you know, as, as, a, as a staple of science fiction, then that is a major thing. Well, what happens when we meet them? Like, that's, yeah. that's sort of the first question about that whole premise. Yeah. And I just... This I, is, I, I, they treated this really well, I think. 
yeah, I just, I love the concept. Just, okay, here's us, like we are now. Yep. Suddenly, everything is different. But it also does that Star Trek thing that Next Gen hasn't done nearly as much as the original series did, which is they're talking about important, heavy issues, but they're doing it metaphorically. Mm -hmm. You know, these aren't us. These are aliens. Yeah. But no, they're us. And that way you can have sort of a religious xenophobe. And, Without and not, making him like yeah, Christian. a Christian, yeah, exactly. You can you can talk about people that you maybe don't agree with without calling them out by name, yeah, which is nice. Although seriously, you slap a like a dog collar on him or whatever, and you're <laughs> a dog collar. I forget what the actual. He's name not is. into bondage. Well, maybe well I he don't should think be. he is. He I actually looks that... a lot. Look, he actually looks like he could be. Well, that could be. I don't know. I don't want to think about that, Matt. You're very uptight. I'd rather just think that he has a Jesus fish somewhere. That would be much easier for me to deal with. <laughs> All right. Anything further about this one? Uh, I think I think that's everything. All right. So what is your quote then? Uh, mine is just the, uh, the, the evil xenophobic guy trying to get the uh, Riker's doctor to, uh, to uh, dangerously wake him up. Mm -hmm. and uh, the doctor refusing. It was actually, it was a very Bones moment to me. Revive him. I'm just a physician, Minister. I, I don't know much about affairs of state, but he is a living, intelligent being. I don't care if the Chancellor himself calls down here. I have sworn an oath to do no harm, and I will not. Yeah, and I like the idea that doctors, like any civilized culture, will have a, a, a sort of a medical code that says... Yeah. It doesn't matter. We will we will help the helpless, and I don't care about their ideology. I don't care about the ramifications. I'm here to help, and that's it. I can't, you know, yeah. I can't get my ethics involved in this beyond help. No, there's a moment where he says to one of his staff, I don't care whether he's an alien or not. First, yeah. first of all, he's very clearly a hurt man. Right. No, and that's nice. You're, yeah. you're right that it is like Bones, which, who was our favorite guy, if you'll recall. I miss Bones. Yeah, me too. All right, so pressing forward, my episode is called Galaxy's Child, which uh, is not a great title. No. But there you go. Uh, so the Enterprise is welcoming a surprise special guest, whom Captain Picard describes as such a number of times. Seriously, by the time he's done building this person up, you're expecting it to be Kirk, or at least one of the lesser Chekhovs. But no, we're expecting Dr. Leah Brahms, the flesh and blood embodiment of Geordi's whirlwind dry hump with the computer about a year ago. Don't remember that episode? Well, you're in luck, dear viewer. Jordy and Cap positions the entire thing to Guinan for most of the rest of the teaser. And, you know, sorry, man. We had Kim on for that episode, and she did a much better job distilling those events to their finer points. He didn't even mention the Coco No-No. <sighs> so Jordy ends by saying that he's sure that he and the real Dr. Brahms will be the very best of friends. And then, doodly, 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 she hates him! Because, you know, theory versus practice, the blueprint versus the field, that old argument. Oh, and the fact that Jordy made out with a fake Leah, but she doesn't know that yet. Meanwhile, the Enterprise encounters some kind of a space horseshoe crab? Maybe a skate? I don't know. Probably something they'd eat in Japan. <laughs> Worf suggests that they shoot the thing, because of course he does, but Picard is excited to finally do some of that seeking out new life and new civilizations we've been hearing so much about in the opening credits. And then they shoot it anyway. It was coming right for us, is Worf's defense, and it's a pretty airtight one if South Park has taught me anything. So they're all feeling pretty guilty about murdering this thing, except for Worf, who's taking a victory lap around the bridge and hooting like an audience member of the Arsenio Hall show. 
Meanwhile, Jordy invites Leah to his quarters to see his Cosby sweater and eat whatever the hell Funguli is, which is apparently her favorite dish. However, could he have known that? Then a scene plays out that is so awkward that I'm not sure the combined forces of Ricky Gervais and Larry David can make it any more cringe-inducing. Jordy keeps making advances to the point that Leah has to give him the no-means-no speech and walks slowly out of his quarters. Backwards. Never breaking eye contact, or visor contact, whatever. Then, presumably, Jordy goes and enjoys a nice, relaxing, cold sonic shower. The next morning, he takes another stab at it, because in his world, no apparently means, please continue stalking me. He shows Dr. Brahms his mid-range phase adjuster, and she's actually impressed. Jordy makes his move and finds out that Leah's gay. Wait, there are no gay people in Star Trek. Mary, that's the one. Back on the bridge, it takes everyone a really long time to figure out that the gross space octopus or whatever had a baby inside it. They consult the ship's reigning expert on being a mommy, who suggests that doing a C-section on the thing. Why aren't they just beaming babies out of women by the 24th century? Jesus. So the Enterprise delivers the space baby and tries to leave, but the thing is all, Not the mama! and swims around the hull looking for the closest thing to a tit it can find. Which is apparently a shuttle bay. Fine. Down in engineering, Leah digs into some more of Geordi's research and asks the junior ensign if there are any more files that she hasn't seen yet. I can only assume this officer's name is Ensign Judas, because she totally tells Leah about the creepy program from last season. Oh, Geordi, you got some splaining to do. Is there no password protection for these holodeck programs? Are we just on the honor system here? So here's where LaForge really shines. You know how he's always talking about diverting power here or there to get some system up and running? He completely diverts Leah's rage into an angry tirade of his own and storms off the holodeck in a sarcastic huff. I had to watch the scene again to see how he pulled this off, and I still don't get it. That was some masterful deflection there. So while all this is going on, the space baby refuses to leave, forcing Jordy and Leah to cooperate. Somehow this makes everything fine, and before the final act is over, they're laughing it off in ten forward. And then Dr. Brahms serves Jordy with one final cock block to make sure he doesn't get any funny ideas. My husband is totally on the phone. I have to take this, she says. And somehow we're left feeling bad for Jordy, which, given what he's done to get himself in this situation, is absolutely mind-boggling. Yep. <laughs> this one was tough. I, I liked it quite a lot. Oh, no, I did too. But, like, seriously, I love Jordy to pieces, but good God. Yeah, well, watching him suffer. Ugh. Yeah, that Just was painful. Just use your... Yeah. Uh, so my good thing is, I love the sense of continuity. Jordy's mm -hmm. creepy actions last season were swept way under the rug too neatly. We talked about this. Mm -hmm. I'm glad they came back to this. I'm glad some writer said, wait a minute. We're just going to let him off the hook for that, huh? Everything turned out okay, and that's the end. No, we need, to, we need to come back to this. Yeah. Unfortunately, they pretty much swept this under the rug, too. They did. I. The only thing there is, I think, because it has to happen in an hour, mm. they rushed it. Like, yeah. I, think, I think this emotional arc would have played out fine over time. Mm -hmm. But I think since they wanted to wrap everything up neatly in 50 minutes or whatever the episode's actual length is, yeah. I, they totally rushed it at the end. Yeah. But I could conceivably see those two com becoming friends gradually over time if they work together well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they spend a lot of the episode not, like, not romantically bonding, but she definitely warms towards him. Well, there's a there's a whole thing about, first she's angry that he's changed all her stuff. Uh-huh. He, he switched all the presets around, you know. Yeah. Move the seat around and change the mirrors and just, mm -hmm. everything's all wrong. But then she's like, oh, wait a minute. This radio station's actually better, and I can see stuff better in the mirror. This is totally cool. And you put some fuzzy dice up. <laughs> Very nice. And uh, and a blacklight poster, because that's the only kind Jordy can see. 
Um, but I, I, you know, I can see the whole argument about this is how it's designed to work. Yeah, well, I'm good on my feet. I'm, I'm in charge of the best ship in the in the galaxy. So you know, I think I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's there's just a lot of like, well, listen, um, show of hands. Who uh, whose ship helped save the the universe from the Borg? Oh, right. me? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so maybe I know what I'm talking about. Well, and this is a standard thing. Like I used to work around aerospace engineers and mechanics in the field, and mm. there was always arguing about this is how it's supposed to work on paper. Yeah, well, that's not practical. I mean, that's yeah. a thing people argue about all, and it happens everywhere it, mm. with everything. It's engineers have no real sense of reality, and people in the field don't really understand, you know, theory of stuff. I mean, that's that's pretty basic. Yeah. And it, it was it worked well here, I think. But yeah, like you say, it, it did happen a little neatly, but again, I think that's the constraint. I mean, you know, that's just how the show works. Yeah. No, but it's irritating, but like, you know. The thing is, I the the build up was great. Yeah. Like the and I think the problem is the build up took too long. Like it felt perfect. Yeah. When we got to the holodeck, we're three quarters of the way through the episode, but it felt like that's when it needed to happen. But then you're not left with much time. Yeah, and I love the just the uh, are there any, are there any other systems I could look at to you know get a better idea of this? Well, oh, yeah. there's one. And then Ensign Judas is like, sure, just go over there to the folder, Mike Jordy's porn. And everyone in the audience is going, mm. yeah. And then the look on her face. Yep. She's like, oh my god. Yep. And of course, what? she's watching the most embarrassing part of that little. Well, you you have to do that because yeah. the rest of it was fairly innocuous. Mm-hmm. So, my bad thing. This was my ex girlfriend's favorite episode, and she was a real bitch. Seriously, just awful. <laughs> That's my bad thing. All right. <laughs> I about... agree. <laughs> what about you? Ah, uh, good question. Where are my notes? Right in front of you. All right, so shitty as the computer animation looks in this, I, I love the weird space baby flying around, I, sucking off the Enterprise. Wait, I could probably phrase that better. <laughs> I don't think it was CG, is the thing. Really? I don't know, but I I think it's a practical effect. I don't know. I it looked know. very early CG Babylon 5. Yeah, yeah, see, the thing is, I remember the time around with this episode, and it was actually 90, I was, I was mistaken. Okay. Not, not 91. But... CG was not to this point yet, I don't think. I don't even think Terminator 2 had come out yet, which Morphing was sort of the first thing. I don't think they had models that really Could it have been just straight-up animation? I I think it's models. I could be wrong. I don't know. I I could be totally wrong. It might be CG. Mm. But it didn't look like it to me just because I remember what CG was like back then. CG back then was like the net that Q put around them in Farpoint. Okay. (laughs) That was... And we're only three years beyond that, so... Maybe it had improved, but I don't know. Yep, but you're right. The thing is, they were a cool design, mm-hmm. but it looked a little weird. And I wonder if the Blu-rays will clean that up a little. I would I be know. very... I was actually thinking about that when I was watching this yesterday. This is that's this is one of the episodes I'd like to watch on Blu-ray. Yeah, no, it and it's a neat idea. Like, I love... And they've done this before. I love the idea of something that just lives in space. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of it possibly being uh, intelligent, but you can't communicate with it. Yeah. And I like I, what I didn't mention was there were like three more of them, you know, coming for the baby. Yep. Like they're all over the place, and I just I don't know. It's a, it's a neat 
they were neat. I liked them. They were. Now, we, uh, you, you mentioned this briefly in the episode. We've talked about this before in TNG. This is, this week, we actually got to see them seek out new life and new civilizations. It was kind of nice. Between the two episodes, you're absolutely right. As opposed to just carrying shit from one planet to another. Well, they often do that or they respond to a distress call or, you know. Yeah. And there's some great episodes that don't do that stuff, but every now and then I'd like to see them actually check out something new. And Picard gets this great, every time they find something new, and this this has been consistent from day one, but they've gotten better with writing him this way. And Patrick Stewart's gotten better playing him this mm. way. When they see something new, he, I mean, Picard's a very reserved guy, but if he wasn't, he would jump up and down and clap his hands. Yep. He's so excited. Like, this is the kind of thing he lives for. Yeah, and that's the whole explorer thing. Like, the exploring thing, he, like, the the diplomatic stuff he's good at, and... Yeah, I feel like, I feel like he always wanted to be an explorer, and along the way he discovered he was a good diplomat. Yeah. But I don't think he necessarily likes it, I think no. he does it because he's good at it. Yeah, exactly. No, like, this is this, this is why he gets out of bed in the morning, is to yeah. see something weird. And changes out of his gym jams. Yes, exactly. Um, I think, I, I think my original assessment, and I mentioned this early on, my original memory of Picard was very inconsistent all over the map that he was into something different every week. I don't think that I was right about that. I think just about all of his interests sort of fall in line with his passion for exploring things yeah. and discuss like archaeology totally fits that. Absolutely. No, that's that's an excellent explanation, especially, you know, alien archaeology. Yes. I think I was, I mean, and there are some episodes in the, in, you know, coming up where it's like, really? He's into that? Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, people have weird hobbies. I just, I, for a while I thought there was a sort of loosely connected Renaissance man, but it was a bit of a mess. I was wrong. No, it, it, it kind of works. It does. It totally works. And the way Patrick Stewart plays it, mm-hmm. like I say, with, with Riker or with some other character who's way more in touch with their emotions, he would be visibly giddy. Yeah. But Patrick Stewart plays it layered, so he's giddy. And then he's reserved because he's got to be Picard. Yeah, like... But you can see the giddy under that layer of, of you know, of calm. Yeah, it's, that sort of that great. sort of half smile is yeah. basically his version of jumping up and down and clapping his hands. Yes, and then when they inadvertently kill the thing... Yeah. He is just crushed. Yeah. He walks back to the captain's chair doing the sad Charlie Brown walk from Arista <laughs> Development. <laughs> He's just, oh, God, that is not what we meant to do. That is the opposite oh. of what we meant to do. Oh. And then Troy gives him the whole, oh, you you did the best you could, Captain. Shut yeah. up. No, actually, she gets mad at him. You didn't do anything wrong. Like, her tone is weird. Yeah. <laughs> Settle down. Like I said, between these two episodes, she did more standing around and looking <laughs> than she has, like, in any particular episodes, I think. That, that was her entire – they wanted someone to cut to to reflect what other people were thinking, and yep. that was her entire job. <laughs> so I, I glossed over this in my in my summary, but what really happened was they, they, they walked up to the thing. You know, they, they flew the, the Enterprise close to the thing. It probed them, and then it zapped them with some uh, lightning. Mm-hmm. And they were forced – like they were – it was draining their shields or whatever, and they were forced to shoot back, and they killed it accidentally. Yeah. And they find out later, oh, it's a mother de- defending its baby. That's mm-hmm. why. It might it might have been more friendly if it wasn't almost ready to give birth. Yeah. And so, you know, that that all totally makes sense as uh, as motivation. Like, and why they would be in this situation in the first place. Mm-hmm. They aren't, they're not just going around shooting at stuff. <laughs> <laughs> There's an alien. Get it. Yeah. It was coming right for us. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> We're thinning their numbers. 
Uh, so what, oh, there's a, there's a great bit where Jordy's um, preparing for Leo, for his date. Yep. Which isn't a date, you loser. No. Making fungoli. Oh god, he's just he's sitting in his in his quarters. Well, but getting the, the like getting the mood lit. Well, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. There's a great scene where he's arguing with the computer about the lights. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Computer, uh, set some mood lighting," and the lights just go off. Yep. And I think maybe the computer's being a smartass. You're blind. Here's some mood lighting for you, asshole. <laughs> I actually, I'm watching. I'm like, does he? Oh, does he ever need to have his, the lights on in his quarters? I mean, for other people, sure. I guess. I don't know. I think the visor sees heat, and light gives off heat. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I just, I, I feel like uh, whenever jo- or whenever Data comes to visit, they both just sort of sit in the dark, because neither of them <laughs> need the light. That's a good point. Um, he, uh, but, but there's a great argument between him and the computer. He does this a lot. Like, he's an engineer, he should think in a very logical, linear mm. fashion, but there's this great sort of personability where the computer's always too clinical for him, and he's always like, no, that's not what I mean, I want you to do it like this, and it's always so cute when he does it, yep. and it's always so weird for an engineer to be doing that, because you'd think he'd know how the computer works. It, it just but it's like still it's in tra- character for him. Yeah, exactly. No, Computer, drop the lighting down 20 degrees or whatever. No, he never does that. It's nope. always like, give me what I'm thinking. No, that's not what I'm thinking. Come on. I actually almost buy that just because he works so closely with the computer. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, come on, man. I know everything you're thinking. Why aren't you? Why can't you do this for me? So you're saying he often makes uncomfortable advances to the computer like he does to Leah? I mean, we have documented proof of that. Who do you think he's making out with on the holodeck? The computer? There you go. All right, then. Well, I mean, who plays the Leah Brahms hologram? That's true. It's really just the computer wearing a Leah Brahms mask. Yeah, exactly. Boy, that got creepy. Yeah, it did. Wearing her skin, actually. Ugh. Yeah. No wonder Oh, she great. Now I just picture Majel Barrett standing over Leah Brahms in a pit telling her to put the lotion on. <laughs> I'm not picturing that. No, I can't I, not picture it. I'm moving forward. <laughs> they mentioned as the baby's the baby is feeding on them. It's feeding on the rays. <laughs> and stop shooting it. What? Uh, they, they mentioned that the thing has like drained twenty percent of their power, and it's already twice its size. Like that baby's a little fatty. Look at you, <laughs> little fatty. Oh, <laughs> uh, what else? <laughs> Come on, guys. Is, uh, admit it. There's nothing on earth more adorable than a fat baby. <laughs> Let's pinch his little slug cheeks. Ugh. Yeah. What else? Uh, what else? I mean, this was... I I think this episode is maybe, if not the best, one of the best mm-hmm. uh, melding of the A and B plot. Yes. We've mentioned this before, where some episodes are very clumsy about, here is one plot, and it's only 30 minutes long, so here's another plot that's yeah. 15 minutes long. This was a perfect, because there was a whole space mystery, which was cool in and of itself, but it directly affects, it nicely dovetails with the other thing. It gives them something to solve in the final act. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a perfect, it also mirrors the thing that happened in Booby Trap, which was, uh, Jordy had to originally collaborate with Hololia in the first place. Because the ship was stuck with a problem, mm-hmm. something out in space that they had to outsmart. And so they're back in a similar situation with real Leah. Like, I'm sure that was deliberate. It was different enough that it wasn't repeating it. But I think it was similar enough to show, okay, let's put them in the same situation again. Mm-hmm. And maybe she'll be, you know, 
maybe she'll come around a little. Like the the the, the fake one kissed him. Maybe yeah. the real one will forgive him a little bit. The first one just decided not to hit him in the face. Right. That's fine. There, but no, I I like that. You know, everything worked together really well, and, mm-hmm. and this show doesn't always do that well. And I kind of wanted to point out that this time, this is how you write an A and B plot story. Mm-hmm. It gives your primary character, who's the focus of the episode, a nice emotional arc, but then it gives the rest of the crew something to do also so they're not feeling left out. Yeah. You had to point out to me that Jordy wasn't even in the first contact episode. Yeah. Like, I didn't notice just, because... not that It just was not that important. That well, episode... Was, well, it was a good enough episode that I didn't notice until you pointed it out, but then you're like, hey, yeah. Yeah. No, that episode, honestly, really only needed Riker and Picard. No, you're absolutely right. Like, everyone else was just super superfluous. Yep. And it was nice for them to meet Data and see, oh, mm-hmm. artificial it's guy. some kind of wonderful mechanical man. <laughs> and and they didn't do the usual, what the hell is Worf? Because they've done that two or three times yeah. now. They did it with the frozen guys in the neutral zone. They did it, uh, I don't remember, another time when somebody was time displaced, I think. I mean, honestly, you know, you have these people, like, they made a big deal out of, the fa- like, the fact that Riker didn't look like yeah, any of so them. Yeah, so at this point, <laughs> Worf actually looks more like them than uh, Yeah, it, it, at least he has does. weird head bumps. Right, exactly. He doesn't have cloven hooves, though. No. Maybe they're related to the Traveler. <sighs> I mean, they've certainly got the useless hands of the traveler. That's what I mean. Maybe, they, may, you know, maybe they're related to him somehow. Cloppity clop. Cloppity clop. <laughs> no, there's also the, there's also this great moment where they where uh, where they found him and uh, they're just sort of exploring his various humannesses. Uh-huh. One of the doctors grabs his foot, holds it up, and goes, "His terminus ends in digits." Maybe that's Riker's season four nickname, Terminus. Terminus. No. It's yeah, not. still looking for one. What was his fake name? That could be it. Oh God, it wasn't very good. No, it was. It was. It sounded like one of those terrible Star Wars novel names. Yeah. Like Jorgen Klondus or you know something like that. I think it was like Rankus or something. Rankus Clumbo. <laughs> Rankus Bass. Yes. <laughs> no wonder he was so jerkily animated. <laughs> It's his own fault for uh, for going undercover as a dentist. Well, that'll happen. All right. Anything else? Um. Oh, the scene where uh, uh, Leah finds out that Jordy's got his wank program. Uh-huh. She acts like I thought the acting in that was really well done. She is so angry. Yep. And so justifiably angry. But like I say, Jordy deflects it so well. Like I by know, the, I by was the end of that shocked scene, by that episode. He's storming out. Like wh- how? What? It's like how dare you be upset at my pornography of you? D- yeah, at this exploitation of you, of this, you know, of this total just, uh, you know. I don't know. I it feels like, and we talked about this before. We talked about this in the Leah Brahms episode. We talked about this in the um, Barkley episode. There still aren't any laws about this, huh? No. There still is absolutely no way to protect your likeness for anyone else's skeevy holo porn. Yeah. That seems I mean, strange to me. I mean, like, the, I assume when they programmed her in, it was to have the creator of the of the Enterprise's engines be able to talk about them, sort of like an educational program. Right. But the fact that you can so easily change these things to be just whatever you want. Well, and we talked about this last time. He infused the program with her personal records, her personal logs, Mm -hmm. all the information that they had on file. That stuff should not be available publicly. No. 
Unless she writes about all her feelings on a public blog. Yeah, well. Which some people do. Mm-hmm. If she tweets every little detail about her life, and then, you know, that goes into her holiday. Well, okay. I'm eating funguli today. <laughs> Add that to the program. Maybe she has a podcast. Could be. You can get a lot of information about people from a podcast. <laughs> the Brahms cast? Yes. Uh, there's there's a there, there's a moment when Jordy goes into ten forward to moan about the fact that his carefully planned uh-huh. uh, seduction isn't going the way he wants. The way he talks about it is such a like computer nerd thing. Oh, it's very engineer. It's like, well, this all in principle should have worked yeah. fine. I have all the theory worked out, and I put it all together so perfectly. So why isn't she in love with me? Because the human factor. That's why. Yeah. The human factory. Because the human adventure is just beginning, Jordy. No, Don't. it was it was just beginning at the end of like the motion picture and it's been like a hundred years. It's it's ending now. No more. The human, human adventure, adventure is about halfway through the third act. Yeah. Um there there were, as always, I, I say this every time, great scenes with Guinan. Mm-hmm. She has this great bit. I, I don't think I've seen a bad episode with Guinan. Nope. It's coming. It's called Time Zero Part 2, but we'll get to that Time Travelers. Oh, God, I hate that. I also recently discovered that that's the episode we're, we're going to be reviewing live at Emerald City. Oh, boy! <laughs> you people are going to see the veins in my forehead if you show up to Seattle. Because, <laughs> Jesus fucking fuck. Anyway. No, I love Guinan every time they use her so far. And th- this episode was no different. She... She has this great moment where she's like, well, maybe you saw Leah with your other visor. What? I, I've only had this one. Yeah, you know, the visor that lets you see what you want to see, you jackass. <laughs> she's She's got this great, it's condescending, but at the same time, it's like the characters really don't get it and they need to be condescended yeah. to. She tells them exactly what they need to hear, which should be somebody else's job. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> she also has great hats. Yep. All right. Any further business? I think that's everything I wanted to hit on this one. All right, then. Uh, my quote as, uh, well, low-hanging fruit, really, but this was this was Data's cute little moment here. Sir, is the appellation Junior to be the life form's official name? No, it is not. <laughs> so there's that. Awesome. Yes. Next week is our 100th episode, for which we are doing nothing special but watching two episodes with our friend Bob. Yeah. Which is special. We like Bob yeah. coming around, and uh, we'll have some fun stuff to say. But uh, 100 episodes means we still got 300 left to go. So Yep. So strap in. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you guys want to send us gifts or cards or whatever, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you want to send us some email, the address is podcast at algar.com. Uh, we do have a voicemail, which we mostly use for our other podcast, Sarcastic Voyage, but you're certainly welcome to call it with questions, 206-973-3982. Uh, we're coming up on a supplemental show in a few weeks. and Yeah, uh, very quickly now. getting to the end of season four. Yeah, which is just strange. Like, we're flying through this show. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that is that is how you can reach us, and uh, we, we appreciate your questions. Uh, and that uh, is all for this week. Matt, I'm not going to beg you to do your catchphrase. I'm going to say it. See you, folks. Mendoza! <laughs> Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.